Ontology, the Waystation of Red-Pilled Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Ginny, Arya and Guy All Bots The Reshaping of the World Order After the First World War Part 9 as a consequence of Machiavellian politics, the Soviet Union swallowed China like a gigantic fruit, which in turn facilitated the reunification of China and the complete collapse of the Soviet Union's strategy on the entire Asian continent. As a result, in the 1970s and 1980s, the Soviet Union was trapped into two-front warfare and found itself again surrounded to the East and the West simultaneously. We already know that the reason why Lenin turned to the East in the late 1920s was that the European battlefield failed, and the Soviet Union wanted to make a breakthrough into the Asian battlefield. The result of the diplomatic revolution in 1972 brought the Soviet Union back to the situation before 1928. In Europe, the Iron Curtain had blocked it, and in Asia, China and the United States United Front formed another Iron Curtain to block it. The Soviets came back to where they started. Further subversion was costly and difficult to operate. And within communism, without the injection of capitalist economic and technical assistance, the economy tends to decline day by day. Communism is a closed system, which is difficult to maintain without capitalist assistance. The Soviet Union's economy did not collapse in the 1920s, mainly because the Soviet Union broke the economic blockade of the Allies and obtained the support of the betrayers of the Allies, that is, defeated Germany and the neutral United States. If everyone, like Britain, France and Churchill, had been determined not to do any business with the Soviet Union, then I am afraid that the Soviet Union would have collapsed in the 1920s. But when it was about to collapse, Germany, the defeated country, lent to the Soviet Union, and the neutral country, the United States, also lent to the Soviet Union. Germany in particular was restricted by the Treaty of Versailles and couldn't develop its arms industry in the country. Therefore, it had to find a surrogate by developing the arms industry in the Soviet Union and conducted military experiments there. As a result, the Soviet Red Army empowered by Germany instead attacked itself in the 1945 war. If the German Wehrmacht had not engaged in military development in the Soviet Union in the 1920s, then the Red Army of the Soviet Union would definitely have remained in the primitive state days of the Semyon Mihailovich Budyani, the Russian cavalryman, and would not be able to fight back when facing Hitler. It was precise because Germany formed the German-Soviet alliance in effect in order to make trouble for the Allied powers, and the Soviet Union built on the basis of Germany, which enabled them, first, to avoid starvation to death in the 1920s, second, to maintain combat abilities in the world. This is exactly what has happened in China. If China hadn't introduced American capital in the 1980s, it would have been over in 1989. Well, now the effect of the Sino-US alliance is to put all pressure on the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union has returned to the state of isolation in the 1920s both in Europe and in Asia, which has also polarized the world structure. It was no longer the polycentric structure at the end of World War I when Britain and France blocked Russia, 
as well as Germany and the United States. Now there was only the capitalist world, with the United States on the one side and the Soviet Union on the other. Although the Soviets' occupied territory was much larger than in the 1920s, the blockade was still exactly the same. Being blocked means that the technological gap continued to widen. The Soviet Union was able to maintain the technological level that was considered advanced at the time in the 1950s, yet after the technology revolution. After the 1970s took place entirely in the capitalist world dominated by the United States, the gap between the Soviet Union and the world's advanced level was getting wider. In this case, as long as the blockade did not shift, even if the Soviet Union had not collapsed in 1989, it would have certainly collapsed at another time. As the gap between the two sides kept widening, this end result was absolutely unavoidable, and the only variable that can have been altered was when the crash would take place. The collapse of the Soviet Union, as I said at the beginning, meant the end of the short 20th century. The cruel 20th century, characterized by revolutionary diplomacy and unrestricted warfare, ended with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Once the Cold War ended, the basic rules of the game and moral concepts in the international community were generally restored to those of a relatively gentlemanly in the 19th century. Ethnic cleansing activities such as those carried out by the Khmer Rouge, which were commonplaces in the Cold War, became unacceptable after the Cold War. Don't forget that that was actually the norm when the Soviet Union was still in power. Even the United States has supported such things. Once the Soviet Union is gone, the international system has returned to the moral standards of gentlemen. The rebuilt international system is centered on the United States. In 1999, it accepted Eastern European countries that broke away from the Soviet Union, and now it has extended its sphere of influence to Ukraine. But two legacies have been left behind, namely Russia and China. Although Russia got rid of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, it has not made up its mind to fully join the Western international system and hence it is resentful towards Ukraine for its attachment to NATO, which has led to the current Ukrainian civil war and the US-Russian confrontation. On the other hand, China also presents a very serious problem because the alliance between China and the United States in the 1972 diplomatic revolution is an opportunistic alliance. It does not mean that the United States recognizes the Communist Party, nor does it mean that the Chinese Communist Party admits its errors. The two countries united against the Soviet Union. With the collapse of the Soviet Union, this alliance ended. Therefore, China was facing tremendous diplomatic pressure in the early 21st century after the 1990s. At this time, bin Laden rescued China again. Due to the rise of Islamism and the need for Sino-US anti-terrorism partnership, as well as Sino-US cooperation in the WTO, China, and the United States once again formed the second opportunist alliance in the Jiangzemin era, maintaining economic prosperity and stability in the first decade of the 21st century. With the basic evolution of the Middle East situation and China's gradual dissatisfaction, this second opportunistic alliance has finally dissolved. So in the future, we can anticipate that the Far East Cold War pattern established by the Korean War is being shaken. From the perspective of international relations, 
you can tell that the series of events on the Diaoyu Islands, the South China Sea, and Taiwan are the result of the reshuffle of the Cold War system in the Far East in 1955. The Cold War system ended in Europe in 1989, but it has not yet ended in the Far East. Therefore, the international system in the Far East is still in a state of confusion, and neither party is satisfied with the Cold War arrangement. As you can imagine, from the perspective of the mainstream of the world or the United States, it hopes that the disintegration of the Soviet Union will mean the complete end of the Cold War. A complete end of course in the spirit of the total victory of the free world as the end, and it wants China to join the system through some kind of peaceful evolution. China, on the other hand, feels that through its opportunistic efforts it has accumulated a certain amount of national strength. It hopes to modify the blockade imposed on it by the 1955 system, the essence of which was the blockade imposed on the Soviet Union and China by the U.S. allies in the Far East, with the United States at its core. The opportunistic diplomacy in the 1980s temporarily granted China special treatment by the U.S., which expired with the disintegration of the Soviet Union and the events of 1989. China has reverted to a largely blocked state, which engages in adventurous diplomatic activities to try to break this state of blockade. Therefore, it can be said that the current international system, which began in 1989 in the new 21st century, has shown very interesting characteristics. China and Russia represent part of the short-lived 20th century heritage, while the West, led by the United States, has partially revived the features of the long 19th century. Only the United Kingdom was replaced by the United States as the herald of peace and order with certain features of progressivism in the century. These two systems are locked in a major contest. It doesn't make much sense for you to simply discuss various domestic factors. As I said earlier, the destiny of Qing Dynasty and Japan was not determined by their own domestic factors, but by whose ride they were taking. The Japanese chose to take the British ride, but the Qing dynasty did not. The Japanese later chose to take the American ride, but China did not. The fundamental strategy of choosing different ecological niches in the international system greatly affected their domestic welfare. And the fate of Chinese individuals, be it Li Hongzhong, Chiang Kai-shek or Mao Zedong, or Wang Hongwen and Deng Xiaoping, to a large, if not a major extent, is decided by this system's impact on China. Similarly, you can't claim that your future within the company depends on the personal ability and contribution of your own. That is not the case. Your future within the company primarily depends on your relationship with your boss and colleagues, and your company's relative position in the current market economy. Even if you are personally very capable, if your company has chosen a wrong route in the current market economy or your company has been going downhill, you will still be finished. In other words, although you are not very successful, as long as you make no major mistakes and your company chooses a favorable route in the current market economy, then the tide will rise and you will be able to get a pretty good position by following others. Only when you understand this can you understand your true status. In this regard, I suggest that all of you, first, do not believe a word in Chinese history textbooks, second, for the books produced by Chinese scholars, 
even though we must respect their ability to verify and collect information, you'd better not subscribe to their conclusions, because they are essentially ignorant of ecological fields in the sense of evolutionary ecology. They will conjure up some hypothetical values such as China's national interests, human progress, or world revolution, which carry almost zero influence on the political dynamics of the real world. If you believe their conclusions, it will not improve your status, but can only magnify your cognitive errors and cause you to pay a hefty price. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative.